Well, the sermon today, what we're going to do is we're going to carry on from where uh, we left off last week. So we are in uh, our Exodus uh, series. If you need a Bible, I'm sure uh, Julie can hand one to you. And also we've got our little Exodus booklets. If you're planning on making any notes, they're really, really handy resources. Doesn't look like anyone needs them, Julie. So um, you can take your seat again. Um, yeah, so today we're following on from where Neil left off last week in chapter two. Um, we're moving through the Exodus story. This is a historical real event. I think it's important for us to remember that. But it's a historical real event that actually paints a picture uh, of something greater, a greater reality um, of our Christian lives in Christ. Last week, Ned us, let, Neil, last week, Neil led us through Exodus chapter one and two. And Exodus 2's historical events showing us the bondage of the slavery of the Israelites under this Egyptian pharaoh, a horrific man. Um, the greatest example of evil we've seen so far in the Bible. And this being a picture of our brokenness, our humanity, the bondage that we have to sin uh, and slavery to sin. Uh, the passage ended showing us God's deep concern and love for his people. At the end of chapter 2, it says these amazing words. 25, God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. And that's where the passage leaves off. And that's where we will be picking up today in chapter 3. So Moses has fled the land uh, after he has murdered this Egyptian man. And, and Pharaoh has it out for, uh, for Moses. And Moses flees. Comes to a place called Horeb or Midian. And uh, he settles there, he marries, and uh, he has uh, children, and uh, he uh, is tending to his flock. And that's where we pick up today, uh, this Moses shepherd tending to his flock. And we know the story well, but as we look today, let's, um, let's open our hearts up uh, to, to see the character of God in this passage. So, chapter 3, it's a long passage, please stay with me, uh, follow along, and uh, let's, let's listen And be open to God's word here. The burning bush. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jephro. The priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. And came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold the bush was burning. Yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off of your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land into a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, 
the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you, sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, uh, the Hivites and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask her neighbour and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewellery and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Please keep that passage open. It will be mainly in there uh, this afternoon. Uh, Exodus chapter 3 is a great revealing of the character of God to Moses. And as we look at this passage this afternoon... We'll focus on a number of attributes of God and how that impacts us as Christians today. When we walk out those doors, how do those attributes, those characteristics of God, how do they push us out into this world in great confidence, knowing that he is with us and that his presence is with us? Now, that idea of a great revealing, I was trying to think of the greatest reveals um, or introductions of characters in pop culture, in literature, some of that might compare in some manner, moments where some characters in the story, um, the, the, they meet the main protagonist and they are in awe of who they've just met. So I have two examples and they, they don't come anywhere near this reveal, but just to set the scene, the WWF, the drama of the Worldwide Federation of Wrestling, I'm not even sure what it stands for. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, I remember as a child watching him come back from injury, the crowd going wild and the wrestlers in, in, in the ring were transfixed and justifiably cowering or vacating the ring in awe of who they've just seen coming down the ramparts. Did anyone watch, did anyone watch WWE or F? Yes, Matty. At Grandma's, we used to watch it on a Friday night before Boys Brigade. And we were just amazed by this character, this great reveal. And then this one, which I'm pretty certain Beth's going to absolutely love that I've put it in there. When Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli in Fangorn Forest and J.R.R. Tolkien's epic, The Two Towers. They meet the recreated, glorified wizard in Gandalf the White and they're just blown away by his purity and his goodness. Two really nice pictures of these amazing characters 
revealing themselves to these people? Well, they're pretty good reveals, but they come nowhere near to this reveal in chapter three. Chapter three, this reveal of God to Moses tops them and blows them away. It's a prelude to him revealing himself to the nation of Israel and the nations of the world. As Moses has this incredible encounter with God, we see the character of God revealed to us in several ways. Uh, And so it's vital for us as believers that we remind ourselves constantly of who we worship as he is the power that sustains us. The brokenness of this world means we need supernatural intervention, don't we, to support us through life's difficulties and trials. You know, we've been battered by a storm over the past few weeks, and sometimes we can feel like that in our lives, can't we? We've been battered by storms and difficulties. The Israelites were in a storm as well, in slavery in Egypt. And this is a pivotal turning point A moment in Exodus where Moses meets the God of the universe. And as we approach this passage, as many of us may be walking through storms and and trials in life, we get to meet in this passage this God who reveals himself in a marvellous way. There's a couple of characteristics that God shows to us in this passage. And we'll focus on a number of them. And I split in typical Baptist preacher style into three points so the first point is Moses as God never slumbers he orchestrates all things see Moses turns aside to see this sight doesn't he and God calls out to him if you follow me to verse 2 let's read that again and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame out of a fire out of the midst of the bush he looked and behold the bush was burning yet it was not consumed and Moses said I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush and Moses, uh, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Just imagine being Moses here um, on this mountainside with his sheep. And he goes into this, uh, as the uh, Prince of Egypt paints it, it's this cave. Where was a cave? We don't know. Um, But he hears this voice call out to him, Moses, Moses. You can only imagine the emotions that he is feeling. You see, our God is not like all of the other little G-gods, certainly of the gods of that time. The Egyptians approached their gods. They were the ones to approach their God. They approached them in their temples and they would seek to prompt reactions from them, waking them out of a slumber. Now, we have a God who sees, who moves, who acts. He does whatever he pleases and and, and he does not pander to the will of mankind. He acts by his own sovereign will. And here with Moses, he does the exact same. You see, when Moses walks up to this bush, God sees. In fact, this is a time that God has ordained before time that Moses would approach this bush. He's ordained this divine moment. Last week, Neil mentioned the passing of the king of Egypt who knew Joseph during uh, Joseph's time. And then a new king, a new pharaoh rose to power. How different is our God. Our God doesn't slumber, nor does he die. We have a God who never sleeps. He's not mortal. He is eternal. He sees all things and he sovereignly interacts with his created universe. So Moses' God never slumbers. He orchestrates all things. Second point, Moses' God is inviting, but he is to be feared. Now, there's no surprise why God shows himself in the form of a burning bush 
and he shows himself in this manner. I don't know whether you can remember back to being a child and being uh, transfixed, uh, mesmerised by matches. Anyone remember getting matches out of their parents' cupboard and just lighting those matches? Lots of you nodding your head. Now you think of the first time you encountered flames. I remember my sister would do that exact thing. So my older sister, when she was about maybe 10 and I was eight years years old, we get the matches out of the, the cupboard. Um, I'm quite glad my mum and dad decided not to come today. They said they were going to come, but I'm glad I'm not uh, grassing my sister up in this situation. I remember my older sister would mess around with the matches in the kitchen. And there was always this great draw with the flame. The flame was inviting. You wanted to experience it. But also there was a rightful fear and a right terror in a sense. Fire is both inviting And it's also terrifying. You see, God makes himself known to Moses in an inviting but terrifying way. Moses goes towards the bush. He's intrigued. You see, this is the God who has lived for eternity outside of human history and has seen all things. And he's interacting with a human being here. Of course, this is going to be inviting, but also terrifying for Moses. And then in verse five, this is what it says. "Then, Then he, that is God, said, do not come near Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. Moses approaches the burning bush, and he encounters here the real presence of God. You see, God is holy. We, as humanity, are not. I think one of the greatest analogies of this is the sun. And, uh, you know, we can never go towards the sun as human beings. In fact, our earth is you know, beautifully balanced. It's um, finely tuned to be sat where it is. If the earth was any closer, it would be burnt up because it couldn't handle the heat of the sun. It's exactly the same with God's presence. Uh, God is holy. His presence is holy. And mankind must be shielded if we are to know God and be in relationship with him. And then in verse 14, God gives Moses a name for who he's to take to the Israelites. And he says this, very Sometimes it's difficult to understand it, our first look. Let's have a think about it here. In verse 14, God says, I am who I am. Yahweh, we've heard that phrase before. Jehovah, the Lord, is the Hebrew for those terms. I am. Another way of saying I am who I am is I am who I am. I be who I be. See, God isn't shaped by others. He's not defined by others. And I think we can take great confidence in this. This is a statement of God's grandeur. It's a statement of his transcendence. He is above all things. He's not defined by human intellect. God is above and beyond that. And because of that, that means we can trust him. You know, if we were able to define God, he wouldn't be God at all. But because God defines himself, he is able to keep his promises now, let's bear that in mind as we come on to the next point. And this is the one I want to spend most of our time on. Moses as God was present, is present, and always will be present. See, Moses here, he's at the foot of Horeb. This is the holy mountain, by the way, that the Israelites would uh, sit underneath when Moses was revealed the Ten Commandments. It was the place where Isaac was almost sacrificed um, on the altar by Abraham and it was the place where uh, Jerusalem was placed this is no coincidence God had ordained this before time God was very much at work here 
Moses at this very place encounters the living presence of the God of the universe. Just look at what God says uh, and Moses' reaction, verse six. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. There's a few things we can take away from that. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, if you know the story of the Bible at all, you'll know that God used them, but they were despicable men. They weren't great human beings, and yet God drew close to them. He, he brought his presence towards those men. And the same with Moses. Moses killed an Egyptian, and yet God draws them to himself. He was present with them. And then verse 7, and this is, I suppose, the crux of this passage. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters and I know their sufferings. God heard their cry. God is aware and he hears us. Um, I'm going to do a little illustration here and we'll see how this goes. Um, I want you to, everybody at once, to say their name, their job, and their age. No, we won't do age, okay? We'll do name and job. And I just want you to all just say it out loud in unison. So I'm going to count down to three, and then I just want everyone to say it, okay? Do you understand? Name and job, okay? Or occupation or what you do every day, okay? Three, two, one. Now, doesn't that sound like an absolute jumble and mumble of voices and I couldn't pick anything out there. Now, our God is different. I know that's a really basic analogy, but it's a bit of interaction from the, uh, from the crowd. But God, he hears every individual. You see, the Israelites were a massive nation of people. The Israelites were a huge nation of individuals. God hears every one of us. That jumble could have very well been prayers going up to heaven around the world and yet God hears you God hears you and he's present with you God always hears each of us he hears the cries of his children he heard the cries of each individual Israelite slave and he knows their troubles you see one slave may, may have been struggling with a, a very a taskmaster that had been on his back for a long time another one might have been thinking about how much straw that he had to gather God knew each and every one of their cries and he heard them and I want for all of us today to never doubt that and that is so easy to say but the God's word God's word here tells us that God hears you every time you pray to him he hears your cry and not only does he hear he acts he acts upon hearing God moves when he calls Moses See, the Bible is real, isn't it? The Bible doesn't shy away from human brokenness. It doesn't shy away from the difficulties that we have in life. The Bible is a real book for real people. Exodus reveals to us a God, the great I am, who not only hears us, but is able to answer and walk with us in our difficulties. He is very much present with all of us. Now, we as Christians know that, uh, that God uh, that we can only be in his presence with the covering of Christ's righteousness. And we know that if you're a Christian today, that, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down to earth to provide us with his 
Righteousness, that means his goodness to cover us before a holy God. And Moses experiences the real presence of God here. The Hebrew word for that is Shekinah. I'm sure many of us might have heard of that word before. If you haven't, the word Shekinah means that God dwells and settles on us. Now, this was different for the Israelites back then. And we'll go on, I'm sure Neil will go on into that in later passages. Moses' God is going to reveal himself to the Israelites in the passages to come. As they're freed from Egyptian slavery. As they're freed from the bondage of their physical chains. But this morning, as Christians, your spiritual bondage to sin is removed through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are not in bondage anymore. You have been taken out of that bondage and given the righteousness of Christ. And that means that we can experience the divine presence, the divine presence of the Trinitarian God in all of his holiness as we have been declared righteous through the Son to the Father and the Spirit of God, that word Shekinah, he has settled in us. He's dwelling in us. That's amazing, isn't it? That God himself would give us his presence. He would provide us with his presence through his son. How is that made possible? It's through, the, through Jesus Christ. It's through Christ, God's son, who through his death, and Johnny, as you mentioned in the prayer before, uh, before the sermon, that how Christ tore open those curtains in the temple to that holiest place, in the, in the temple, in the Jerusalem temple, they had a room that only a priest once a year could enter. And that, that represented the Shekinah that the Israelites, uh, for the Israelites, that only, only the, 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 the priest could enter into it. Well, that presence is very much wide open for us. If you are a Christian, God has made a way for you. And I have to ask that question. Uh, if you do not know Christ, his presence is offered to you. His presence is very much on offer for you today. He calls to you through his son, through his sacrifice, through his death on the cross. But not only his death, that he rose again. We as Christians believe that Christ is alive and he ascended to heaven to be the mediator, to be the one who stands before God on behalf of sinful humanity to provide that mediation for us. He is the perfect human being who opens access to God. And that is on offer for you today for us as christians though our god is not distant his presence dwells within us his presence is with us daily see every time you open your eyes god is with you every time you wake up in the morning god is with you if you are a christian every time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning contemplating a busy and stressful day he's with you the end of the day when you spent your energy and you reflect on the events of the day and remember the good moments and the low moments should i have said that should i have done this god's with you he doesn't leave you even through the mistakes even through the moments where you feel like you've done well god is with you his presence remains upon you his shekinah is with you always do we know that it's so easy to forget, isn't it? It's so easy to forget that God is with us daily, but he is. Even when you forget, he remains with you. So in application, in application of this passage where Moses meets God 
And in that moment, he experiences the presence of God Almighty. How does that moment, thousands of years ago, this historical moment, how does that apply to us as believers in Christ? You see, our comfort in this life, our support and our hope in a world that's changing, a world that's fallen and turbulent. You know, you only have to look at the news recently. You only have to look at, um, you know, uh, just the world around us. And you only have to look at our own personal lives. We need comfort. We need support. And we need a hope. Where does that come from? It comes from the revelation of who God is. It comes from the revelation of the God that came to this world and made himself uh, relatable to us. It comes from who God is and that he is present with us. See, Moses, he doesn't remain on that mountainside. God tells him in this passage, you are going to go back to the Israelites. You're going to stand before an evil king and you are going to tell him, let my people go. And Moses, in his frailty and in his humanity, he just crumbles. He, he, he breaks down. He says, I'm not, I can't do this. I'm not good enough to go. See, Moses had a mini exodus, hadn't he? God had led him out of captivity, out of the bonds of Egyptian society and culture, where maybe he was growing up in that society and culture and he probably enjoyed it until he saw his brother, and, uh, his brother being um, attacked by that Egyptian and killed that man and fled. He'd been in that culture and that society and had fled and now here to the presence of God. And God's sending him back to be a vessel of salvation to the Jews. And we share his anxieties, don't we? I think if we're all real, uh, if we're all honest, we share Moses' anxieties, we share his fears. We live in a broken world and we struggle and war against the flesh. We struggle and war against the world and we struggle and war against principalities in the devil. Moses says this, and we relate to this, don't we? Who am I? Who am I? Says Moses. So even in the midst of God's presence here, Moses cries this out. Who am I? Resonate with that call. We've all cried that out at some point. We are aware of our brokenness, which is right and good. We're aware of our shortcomings and how often we, we drop the ball. Our God is present with us through life's walk. Our God is there with us. Just look at verse 12. This is the most encouraging part of this, this passage. He, God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord, the creator of the universe, the one who sustains all things, the one who is before time and is after time, who is the great I am. I will be with you. Let that settle for a moment. I will be with you. The God who made you, the God who made all of us, the God who created the universe was there at its foundations. He is with us every single moment of the day. His presence, if you are a Christian, is with you every day. If you can turn to this passage or you can listen to Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. You see, we know that the Exodus, this historical passage, is a picture of what will come in the future. It's a picture of what we as Christians uh, are 
um, sovereignly brought into by God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 says this. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. See, the Israelites, and again, Neil, I'm sure, will touch on this in passages to come. The Israelites would build a tabernacle, this tent, when they were wandering through the desert. And when they settled in Jerusalem, Solomon would erect a temple and they would worship there. And God's presence would dwell in that temple, would be there. But for us, because of Christ, that presence of God is with us always. Because he tore open those curtains at his death. And we experience the full presence of God Almighty in our lives through the Spirit. The Spirit of God, God dwells in us. And this is our hope through walking through life's trials, through walking through life's difficulties. See, Moses at this burning bush, he had to leave the cave. Or I say the cave only because of what I'm thinking of. Prince of Egypt, get Prince of Egypt out of your head. Um, Moses on this mountainside, he had to leave the cave, didn't he? And he's, he's fearful. He's thinking about what Pharaoh might do. He's worried for his life. But God promised to be with him. And in a similar way, for us here this morning, I suppose this communion, this gathering of God's people, this is in a similar way, a burning bush moment. We experience the presence of God very much in the way that when we come together through gospel community with one another in prayer, we feel and know God's presence here. But when we step out those doors, into the weak, back into the reality, back into the things that are causing us fear and anxiety and stress. We so often forget the presence of God. But as Christians, as a Christian, if you are a Christian here today, God goes with us. He dwells within you. He hears your cry and he does act. There's a hymn writer from many years ago uh, called Horatio Spafford. And this man knew for sure that God's presence was with him. He wrote the hymn, When Peace Like a River. Just nod your head if you have heard that hymn before. I think most of us have heard it. Now, this man was a successful attorney. Um, he, was a, he was a Christian. He was a successful attorney. Not saying attorneys can't be Christians. They're close again. Real estate investor as well. He lost a fortune in the Great Fire of Chicago in 1871. One of his sons died to scarlet fever. And to get his family away from all of this, just to have a holiday, he said to his wife and his four daughters, let's cross the Atlantic. I think it was the Atlantic. Let's cross the Atlantic and I'll meet you there. And tragically, horrifically, um, his four daughters were killed in a storm. And for Horatio Spafford, this must have been an awful moment and tested his faith hugely. And we can relate, can't we? We all have difficult moments in life. We have moments that just crush us and uh, fill us with despair. And Horatio Spafford wrote these lyrics, such powerful lyrics. Um, and we know them, I'm not going to read them all out. But the first verse says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Uh, it goes on to say, my, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. See there, incredible words 
And that man could say that because he knew the real presence of God. That didn't negate from the issues that he had in life, the trauma that he experienced. But he knew that the Shekinah of God dwelt in his heart. Our God is present with us through life's walk. And our God will bring us home as well. Our God will bring us home. He promises to do that. God isn't sending Moses to remain in Egypt. He's sending him with hope for the slaves. The promises of freedom and liberation. And liberation to the promised land. If you look at verse 17 in the passage in Exodus chapter 3, it says, And I promise, remember this is the God again of creation, of sovereignly ordains all things. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is where they are going to. God is going to bring the Jews out of physical chains, out of bondage and out of slavery and into the promised land. Christian, this is where we're going. We're going to a promised land. But in a greater sense than what the Israelites had, God brings us out of our spiritual death and into spiritual life. And the new creation is our promised land as well, the new heaven and earth. But in the meantime, God is with you. He is present today. His Shekinah dwells with you and he'll be present tomorrow. Let's pray and uh, we'll move into communion. Father God, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for the historical text of Exodus and that this points us towards a greater reality that you, our God, are present with us today. As we uh, go into our lives, as we go back into the world, may we remember that you are a God who is present and you are present through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ opening that way for us and that your Holy Spirit dwells within us. And we, with confidence, can say, like Horatio, it is well with our souls because you have given us uh, life uh, and life eternal. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Uh, as we move into communion, um, let's remind ourselves that the presence of God is impossible if it were not for Christ's sacrifice when he opened up the holiest of holies to us. We have full access to communion with God through the son's work on the cross and his ascension. Christ brings us into the presence of God in Hebrews chapter 9, and this relates to uh, everything that the Israelites experienced in the wilderness with the tabernacle and the temple when they built it. But us for in a greater light, uh, a greater, it's a picture of something we experience. Verse 11 to 15. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, this is not of this creation, Christ entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of Haifa and sanctify for purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, 
He, Jesus Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus covers us. We can approach this table with full confidence, being in the presence of God because of Christ. Because of him, we can confidently say, like Horatio, it is well with our soul. In 1 Corinthians, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup, and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So before we come up, uh, let's take time to reflect uh, on uh, the passage, on what we've heard today, on the truths of the gospel. Reflect in our hearts how if we are a Christian, Christ has saved us. And let's remember that this is a meal that we take together as well. So look out for one another as well and turn to one another and pray with one another. And then after, um, after we've taken communion together, Matthew's going to lead us through some worship. Let me pray and, uh, and then um, we'll open up this time of communion. Lord, thank you for this table. Thank you that it represents all that you did for us. That you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to, as an as a, as a offering, a, a perfect sacrifice uh, for us. That you, you died, you shed your blood uh, for our sin. And that not only that, when you went into the grave, you rose again three days later and you are ascended to the Father's side uh, and you are mediating for us uh, until that day when you come. Thank you, Lord, for this, that we as Christians, if we are yours, um, we can come to this table in full confidence, knowing that you are present with us fully uh, and that you have done all the work for us. Father God, I just thank you for these things and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.